Welcome back to another episode of Escaping Gilead. This is for the fifth episode of the fifth season of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale. This one was called Fairy Tale. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Paul, do you believe in fairy tales? Oh, I wish I did. <laughs> you're you're certainly a fantasy like TV show slash book reader. I do kind of yearn for that simple good versus bad. When the story's done, there's an element of happily ever after. You do it, enjoy that? God, I, I like just that. read Stephen King's book called Fairy Tale. Oh. Yeah, it's brand new. That's got to have some spice in it, though. That can't just be a straightforward fairy tale. It's a mix of modern times mixed with a fairy world, yes. Oh, okay. Hey, you know what we should talk about just right out of the gate? What should we talk about right out of the gate? Let's talk about the flashbacks and the world building that we did in this episode, because that was something that we were asking for in previous episodes. We were like, when are we going to learn more about how Gilead was formed? When are we going to understand more about what the greater world thinks of what's going on? So let's start with a couple of our flashbacks. We have that aquarium scene with the jellyfish and Hannah. The thing that struck me about that is how it was all sped up. And it was all kind of like herky-jerky. And it was like the memory was no longer just this like slow, flowing, really lovely memory. It was a lot more frenetic energy. There's a lot more like... Like it's disappearing. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, and we're definitely going to talk about what's going on over in the Jaden camp when we talk about that portion and like what could be slipping away with Hannah. Also, you know, the being captured scene in the woods, that still makes my heart pump. You know, that (laughs) whole running in the woods scares the shit out of me. Well, they made sure to include not a whole lot of like the running, but a lot of the the grabbage. Yeah, the 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 taking the the child away from her. Yeah, a lot of a lot of hands on grabbage. The big portion with uh, Serena Joy, and we have this um, whole portion with Mrs. Putnam. This had to tickle you, Paul, because I know you wanted to know a lot more about like how did they come to decide how to do this handmaid's portion and. I think it speaks to previous episodes with Lydia wanting to dismantle the Handmaid's system. Like, it's helpful to know how it got started and, like, why it originated the way it did. The clip that you're talking about, it doesn't give an exact date, but you can tell that it's probably only a year or two at the most into the new regime of, of Gilead. The Handmaid's program is much less standardized in terms of being a commonplace thing that that people openly accept into their homes and like the wives i don't know if it was just me but it seems like in modern takes the wives are pretty uniform in what they wear and in this flashback there was slight variations in color and cut and style it was still there's still like a work in order you know like a work in progress i should say yeah exactly yeah and so you got that feel now were you surprised that mrs putnam and sj were really turning their nose up at like these rooms of kids and it really very much seemed like they just want newborns of their own they do not want to actually make families or have kids per se they just want newborns there's that and there's i think there's still an element of they can't believe that they're in this jam yet 
in the timeline of the Handmaid's Tale world, this is a, a few years maybe into the fertility crisis, but maybe with the formation of Gilead and these wives being highly placed individuals within the organization, they might have like this stars in their eyes, like, well, now that we've got that out of the way, things will settle down and we can have our own kids. So we don't need to worry about these refugee kids or stolen kids. I don't know what they're telling themselves they are, but... Mm. They seem like they, they thought that you saved these children, right? Saved, but this room full of kids... They look so sad. Yeah. So horrible. Yeah. It had real like Stranger Things vibe. Like the glass. Like where 11 yeah. was uh, Those hatched. glass like big like ob observation windows and like peeping in on them and all the kids are kind of doing activities but also kind of like staring back through the glass. Like so, so that girl was Hannah, right? You think you saw her? Yeah, the one coloring that looked up at SJ and then looked back down at her coloring. 100% could have been. I Honestly, I didn't catch that. But of course, it absolutely makes sense in the continuity of our story here um, in this episode of, you know, constantly pushing Hannah and Serena Joy across each other's paths. It definitely seems like it. Before you move on, what do you suppose would have prompted SJ to have that memory? Well, are we going there? Well, you want to start talking about Serena Joy? This show usually uses flashbacks mm -hmm. kind of like pertinent to whatever's happening to that lead player. So I think that Serena Joy is having this memory of like how she ended up with a handmaid because I think she's slipping down the rabbit hole of becoming a handmaid. I know that everybody on lots of Reddit, Facebook pages, everything, including the one that we run. Gilead Online on Facebook. Totally come join us. 42,000 members, tons of conversation. You guys come on over and join us there. But everyone had in their head like this idea of like, oh, she'll be in this red dress and she'll be like placed with a family. I think she's been placed with a family, Paul. I think she is a handmaid oh, right now. Oh, you think the wheelers are Oh yeah. going to do a little switcheroo? I think they're just going to take the baby and be like, got it, thanks. And whether she is just in their house or whatever. So you want to get into that a little bit? Cause, so that's why I think the origination story of like, how did Serena Joy handle getting a handmaid? How she chose a woman, how this all happened. Combine that with that Shaw doesn't seem to answer to her. Oh, no. You know, like no. when she's like, let me go talk to that woman. He's like, Mr. Wheeler said, keep you back. The whole thing, Paul. She's obviously not allowed to leave the grounds in any way. She was denied a cell phone. He's giving her pills, which we don't know what they are. And when he stood there, when someone gives you pills and then stands there and watches you take it. Right. Oh. <laughs> Interesting That's theory. Okay. Bad all right. news bears. I didn't know if it was actually going to be like any type of vitamin or something like that, or if it was going to be even like a sedative or something, like maybe slow her down, you know, make it be where like she's not having all these ideas of running away or can't, simply can't. Right. You've had your idea this week. Let's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> let's throttle back. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So I think this was a brilliant idea to take it back away from talking about information for Gilead and instead of focusing on the women that are surrounding her. She has this introduction to Mrs. Wheeler and the other wives who are just like begging to know more about how to become like a fertile wife. This idea of starting a fertility clinic, any type of fertility information, for one, it wouldn't even really seem risky. We had fertility issues with our twins. It wouldn't seem risky to me 
to just get information about how they were getting pregnant in Gilead. I wouldn't feel like I was stepping into this other country, like I was going to get snatched up or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I could go in there and be like, oh, they're like drinking this green drink, like Serena Joy <laughs> is drinking at breakfast. If you guys didn't catch that, that was totally the same stuff they were serving up June. Again, if that's not a winky wink about her classification in the household, she certainly isn't sitting at the head of the table and she gets the green drink drink and she gets the same type of food that June handmaids get. Mm. Mm, y'all, I think that for her bringing up this fertility idea is super smart. Again, like I would step in there because I would think what's the harm in finding out how they're getting pregnant when we both know that's a slippery slope. You know, you find out how they get pregnant and then you're like, well, turns out you can only get this certain thing over there. They have some certain stuff and you, you could easily slip into some sort of bad thinking over there. It works with various, you know, religious organizations of varying levels of reputation. They do the same exact thing. It couldn't, what could it hurt to come in and hear what they have to say? So when you and I were in college, there was a Church of Scientology right there across from the university. They never advertised Scientology. They no. advertise personality tests. personality tests and and food. I had to go over and do it because it had something to do with one of the classes I was taking. So yeah. I actually had to go in there and do it. That's the thing, though. They don't talk about Scientology. They talk about, let's just see what your personality like. like. Let's see how we can help you more be more successful. You'll just learn information about yourself. And who wants that more What's the harm? than college students? What, well, we're all trying to find ourselves, Paul. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But do you see what I'm getting at? There was also other people standing out there with flyers and stuff for specific churches or for specific groups or whatever. And you know what? We kept our arms tight against us and we didn't take any of their flyers. But when it's like, it's just a personality test with some cookies and juice and stuff, that seems like this is just a fertility clinic where we're just going to let you know what's in our green drink smoothie, you know, recipe. We're just going to let you know right. some exercises we do and, you know, maybe some good positive thinking chance you can do. Like, they're not going to advertise Gilead. Bringing Warren in on the scene. Oh, my God. How much did he seem like the Crypt Keeper and like such a freaking menace, dude? He scared the shit out of me. He was not invited. As I Lawrence, know. Uh, when Lawrence out. was like, none of us knew he was going to show up. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So what up with Warren? He's clearly the villain, right? Because they're taking Serena Joy down. We have got no Fred. We got to have some villains. That's giving him way more credit than I was. Ooh, Is, I think he's scary, Paul. Well, I mean... All that he said he wanted to do was take her down a peg just to take her down a peg. You know, later they would admit that her idea was good. It was just that she couldn't have the satisfaction of knowing it right away. But he also said this entire thing is like a bust with well, Serena Joy. And so then you yeah, know yeah. that she's not being looked at as a diplomat. This is an expensive project. And that he feels like she embarrassed him. That the whole, and Gilead in general, but they all take it ego-wise, like it's individually them, that it didn't go well. That it was embarrassing and this protest out front and all this mess and having to run out. Like, this was not good PR that she had promised. Like, this money was for garbage here, like what they ended up with. I think that puts her on a really shit list. It's a funny position, though. What's he going to do? What is he going to He. I think he's going to sign off on letting her be a Wheeler's handmaid. That's what I think he's going to do. Oh, uh, <laughs> what is up with you over there? You're like, I don't, you're well, definitely the, not drawing the same lines, huh? This no, is just my conclusion. Well, by the end of the episode, it does feel like Wheeler is a commander without the title. 
you know, like he's oh yeah, he's not in Gilead, but he is on conference calls with him. The the fact that he can get a Gilead call because he has his ways. I know, and the way that Mrs. Wheeler smiled like a freaking Cheshire cat. Woo! When he she was like, Mr. Wheeler has his ways. Wow. I don't know, getting a call from like North Korea and being like, well, that's a normal thing. It's just in your living do. room, just right. like go ahead and take the call. And also, I mean, obviously, Mrs. Wheeler. We've got to have some villains here. You have to fill this out with villains. We don't have a clear-cut villain. Gilead in general, yes, but you need some true villains. So I think having Warren be the face of the villains, there is no way that Mr. Wheeler, who's super freaking busy, is going to be the one that brings in some freaking folic acid pills or some prenatal vitamins to Serena Joy unless that's his baby. Nice. That's the only reason why a commander is going to come off from high and come and give you your vitamins and pour you water. They have servants all over the house. He's pouring water for his baby. You were a very active watcher on this one. <laughs> I commend your watching. I did not draw these dotted lines, but they do make a lot of sense. I think that this is the way it goes. And I think it's trickier to have her be a handmaid in Canada. That means that your traditional sense of the red cloak and, and Lydia and all that stuff start throwing away what that structure looks like in your mind. This is scarier. This means they could just be snatching pregnant ladies and doing stuff right here. We can bring Gilead right to you. <laughs> if you strip away the uniforms and just let everyone wear normal clothing... Serena went through everything that quote unquote Offred did. You know, yeah. she was like presented to the other wives. They yeah. got to rub her belly. The happy wife received her with like this maniacal look on her face. You know, I read that originally, obviously, as some kind of zealotry, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm so down with Gilead that I just can't even believe you're here. But if you look cast a slightly different light on it, that I'm just a couple of weeks away and this is mine, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. That smile works for that emotion, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly where I think we're heading. I also have this feel of like what you said was exactly right. You don't connect the origin story of how Serena Joy becomes a wife and picks a handmaid unless the bookend of it is she's being picked as the handmaid. P.S. I really loved the moment that there's like these several file folders and Aunt Lydia is all like, oh, yeah, you know, pick one of these. They're all from good backgrounds, all this stuff. And then then Serena picks one up and she's all like, that's the one that caught like Mr. Waterford's eye or command or whatever. And immediately Serena Joe's like, nope, <laughs> back in the pile, girly girl. Like, but you can see that jealousy and that and that everything, I mean, was so well communicated to the audience this idea of bringing in another woman, even as a part of the ceremony and even all this stuff was all, like it was 100 percent under her skin from moment one. You know, she was not going to pick the one that she thought Fred would pick. Now, for all of you guys who are like, who is this woman? Whatever. Remember, there was a handmaid before June. Right. And that's the one who killed herself. So she's essentially choosing, we think, the one who killed herself. Yeah, I think I believe that's right. With your dotted lines, although the audience and eagle-eyed podcasters like yourself may be there. I did not get the sense that Serena was there. I got the sense that she felt like she was being unjustly caged. Mm. But I think she's waiting to get back to work, you know, at the, at the I church. I think you already answered your own question, though. Why are we getting these subconscious flashbacks? Because some part of her absolutely knows what's going on. 
and mm. recognizes it. You know, game recognizes game. She is remembering the steps it took to get a handmaid and what happened and how that looked. Why would she be reliving those memories? It's just that look on her face when she was getting her belly rubs by the wives was not... That's too early, though. You got to get to the look at her face when Miss, Mr. Wheeler pours her water and the awkwardness of that room and the, then the denial of the cell phone. You got to get further in the episode. She, so, by the end of the episode, she knows what's up. So in a roundabout way, they're turning her into June of Wheeler. That's an interesting way to, to put that because are they trying to make her sympathetic to us, even though she's been such a 80, 90 percent of the time she's been monsterific for Girl, us. This is real time. Paul's brain like working this out. I hope yeah, you can hear the cogs <laughs> clicking over. So ask your question again. The narrative goal here. Why would they want to put her through the same thing as as June? We only have one more season. And I think this story is ultimately about some sweet, sweet revenge. And also, be careful what you do. Karma. Look at what she did to all these other people. And then now for it to happen to her, there's absolutely no one in this entire five seasons who hasn't said what a comeuppance it would be to have Serena Joy have to become a handmaid after all the things she did to June, most especially, but to all of them, you know, for even creating this whole world, that this would be the thing. And this is such a sneaky way for people like you who did not catch on. This is like she what you're like, what are you talking about? She just went in to that big box that had a brownie in the back of the box. She just what do you mean? I just saw an episode where she walked in. But, but and I'm with, saying I heard that clanking door slam behind her. She's in a cage now. But with like 15 or so episodes to go for the whole thing, this seems too early to call it in terms of, well, she's getting her just desserts. You have to get some other people here. So you have to think, first of all, she's going to give birth. The end of the season's got to be and the wheelers taking the baby. I'm putting my little money on it because that aligns her with June. That aligns her with the people who need to get their kids back. Not only that, but you're starting to align her much better with Lawrence, who's watching his power slip away. Warren was like, good luck trying to like have any conversation with the commanders. Nobody's going to listen to you. So now you're like, you're putting Serena Joy and, and Lawrence. They're like even more aligned, you know, in terms of like what's going to happen next. You have to have true villains. We brought back in Mrs. Putnam. We reminded everyone about Mrs. Putnam. You brought back in Warren Putnam. So there's some villains for you, which we know very well that Mrs. Putnam wants a baby. Remember in the previous episode, they were going to send Esther to go be the handmaid. Yeah. So who else badly wants a baby? Plus, if you remember, Mrs. Putnam had offered up to take that baby boy. Remember when she came and visited with presents and whatnot? And she was like, oh, right. what? Yeah, she did kind of call dibs. Mm-hmm. And they've set her up for like, I'm, I have this bassinet here. It's empty. I'm looking for a new handmaid. And uh, you know me. So we can work this out. You got a lot going on. And I think you have to have new villains. There is an element of like torture and cruelty and stuff in this show. You've got to bring those people back in closer. So obviously there's a lot going on in this episode, but to set up Mr. and Mrs. Wheeler as the next Mr. and Mrs. Waterford, the big W on the gate, the big everything. I think this is like you went down the rabbit hole. It's clicking together. But does that <laughs> does that leave June and Serena as like f frenemies needing Probably to do the same six. thing? Probably in season six. Yeah. Huh. 
maybe the Wheelers go over to Gilead in season six, or maybe the baby is pushed off to the Putnams or whatever. Although I, I don't know. I really see this Mrs. Wheeler. She's a real scary looking smiler. <laughs> I, I see her wanting that baby pretty badly for herself. Yeah. If you're unsure of SJ's status, when you're talking about those women all like cooing all around her and touching her belly, that one lady, I believe her name is Addie, although it might have been Abby, was sitting next to SJ on one side and you have Mrs. Wheeler on the other side. The first woman is like, oh, man, we've been trying so long and blah, blah, blah. And then immediately Mrs. Wheeler's like, we all have, we all know, we all know Abby. They are talking as if she isn't there. They're talking to one another across her face as if she's not a human as if she's not there, and certainly without this elite status of Serena Joy Waterford's in my house. Mm -mm. The two of them closed ranks and went directly in front of Serena Joy and just knocked her out of the equation, reminding the audience, we've all been trying for so long. You don't see this as like a bunch of lionesses circling their prey of like, this is a pregnant belly. And you know what? Serena Joy has become an embarrassment to Gilead. They don't want her out here. They don't want an unmarried woman with a baby. They don't want her out here creating bad press. They don't want any more June Osborne bullshit. So the best thing to do is she's just a vessel to get grow this baby. And the second she gives birth, the ex is on her back. Yeah? Is it clicking? Does oh, yeah. this seem right? Or, I mean, if I'm off-base, man, you throw out some alternative theories here. I'm willing to go Putnam baby or Wheeler baby, but I think Wheeler baby's way scarier because it's, like, in Canada. And so there's something about Gilead oozing into right. other parts that is real scary. Right. Well, those other women might be looking at that uterus. I think that uterus has been looking at, yeah. They're peeping out her uterus, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> I'm with you now. Oh my gosh. Okay, so are we ready to head over to June and Luke? All along, we've been questioning sort of the world attitude toward Gilead, toward Americans, Canada, etc. And we hadn't gotten a clear vision of that. We knew that Canada was playing ball in terms of accepting refugees as they came across the border. But we hadn't gotten a gauge on the political climate for that and whether or not that was just a universally accepted thing or not. And in this episode, we got confirmation that it is not a universally accepted thing. There were picketers. There were go back to your country signs mm -hmm. from people that are supposed to be our friendly neighbors to the north. This is difficult. And we had the one kind of throwaway line, it seemed like from Moira in the previous episode, where she was kind of scolding June to not go out to the protest, not go be like picking any kind of problems out there because they needed to like stay in line. That was like kind of the, the wording that she used. And it was this idea of needing to make sure that they don't bring any heat. Basically, they don't want any spotlight on the fact that they're refugees. They don't want to look like they're kind of causing problems. And it was really quick. And I looked at you and I was like, what was that? Why would Moira say that? Like, where is this coming from? The much larger protest with the posters and the go back. I mean, that made it very clear to me, like, oh, there's like actively people who are putting pressure to not allow people from Gilead to be hiding here and or coming here in any way, in any kind of safe way. And additionally, I think that really matters because talk about these people who I know we have this no man's land. Right. But talk about it more metaphorically, like. So where are people like June and Luke and Moira and really even Serena Joy and other people like where are they supposed to go? You know, they don't want to be in Gilead. They don't have any place to be. 
they have no home. Right. You know, and it creates this desperation because you don't have any safe place. And again, I think alignment because it's like, where can any of us run? Like Serena Joy is not safe in Canada. She's not safe in Gilead. Where is she going? And June is in the same boat in a lot of ways. Moira is in the same boat in a lot of ways. Interesting narrative trick to quickly bring up an issue that happens in our world. You know, the idea of refugees and where do you put them and that sort of stuff. The shoe being on the other foot. That element of it is something that I think people, maybe maybe it's not people, maybe it's just me, have difficulty embracing until you just see it like this and, and like illustrated for you. Yeah. Where if you were like I do with uh, shows that I watch, I kind of go along with the characters. You know, I'm if if it's Moira and June and Luke in the car, I'm I'm sitting there with them. You know, riding in the You're car. The fourth one. Yeah. In the backseat. Yeah. I'm like, can we stop for fries? You know that that's what that's what that's what I'm doing. Paul would never get fries. That's true, but. <laughs> But this is TV world. Where oh, I, t- so you eat yeah. junk food in TV world? Yeah. I see. And so when I saw that sign, I I, I thought, but where are we going to go? You know, and I think that's the same, the same uh, same thing that those well, people must be thinking. Well, where can we go? Paula is growing right before your very eyes, y'all. And you know what's so incredible about the writing and the way that they put this together was that you didn't see that coming. Like I said, last week when Moira made that comment, I was like, what's that about? Since when are we not safe in Canada? Because I'm also in the car. I'm like the third one in the back seat. You're like the hump boy and I'm like sitting yeah, in the it's middle. A, it's a bench seat. <laughs> You're sitting in the middle, right? For me, I'm like, that snuck up on me because all we wanted to do was get to Canada and then we'd be safe. That we've done this for four seasons, we were hurrying to Canada. So to get to Canada, right. have stuff going on, and remember, then remember when Emily told, got the uh, the standing O when she came in. Yes. What happened to the O's? <laughs> <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? Like, but what a what a clever way to make, especially someone like you. Maybe like you said, you've never really thought about it, right? Of like what that would look like. So to think you made it past the finish line only to realize you're not welcome there. And people don't want you there. Whoa. I know that Bruce Miller, when we talked to him, you know, made great points about the fact that they did a ton of research, especially on refugee experiences. I mean, we know just from watching the news and stuff that this is very much based in reality. But to I'm sure I'm sure they talked to, to real people who had experiences like this. And I think they portrayed the what the shit of it very well for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely commend them like tackling that issue because this is going to create this whole desperate, like, where in the world can you go? Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you guys have to remember that. Put down in your book somewhere in your survival there guide. still two stars. Yeah. Yes, still two stars. Only two stars. Oh, goodness. Okay, so let's talk over about June and Luke. We get this little nugget that maybe this guardian, Jaden, out there, right? We don't know his name yet, but has some information about what's going on with the plums, the wife school attendees, right? Doesn't that seem almost sort of dirty or something to re- refer to the girls as plums? Like it just, yeah. like... It seems very ripe for the picking. Is that what you're going? I with? don't know. I don't know. It just it just feels like the sort of thing old men would say. <laughs> Can't look at the plums, you know, like that sort yeah. of. Yeah. Well, it definitely, you know, I agree with you very, very much. Yeah. And and also, there's like a sorority aspect sounding of it, like the plums. I don't know. There's I know there's other pop culture things going on in my head right now that I'm not making the connection. My mind's not being snappy enough. But they're called things like that, like Gilmore Girls. They have like the little sorority, the puffs, like. 
there's mm. just like the plums that just it stuck in my head like that. Like it was like this young girl sorority kind of feel to it that was like, oof, you do not want this feeling of all these men just like being so predatory all around them, right? Yes. So, okay, you know, they answered the question we had from last week of like, where the hell does Nicole go when all these other adults are away from her? Rita. Rita is around and Rita has Nicole as they're going to go off on this adventure. That's who must have had her last week. Remember when they were all at the protest and we were like, who has Nicole? Yes. Rita. Rita. Super curious if Rita is going to come back in for the last half of the season here. Love her. Miss her. Eager to see if she's around and like where she comes into play here. I was also interested to find out that Plum School is or whatever the wife school is wife school. At least as far as Jaden knows, and Jaden was not a complete authority on it, but we had guessed that perhaps the mix of colors might intend that they could siphon off girls that are, in their minds, better serving the community as handmaids that direction. Now, that could still be the case. I kind of think it is going to still be the case, because if you guys remember from last week, we were talking about how... How do you get the color purple? It's actually blue and red. So that plum school, as you called it, is actually probably those who flunk on running a household get to have babies instead, right? There may be some way in this post-low fertility world where, aside from the old-fashioned way of just making a baby, maybe they've come up with some way to gauge who's probably fertile. It's so tricky because remember they, they never blame the men, but in reality, it it's mostly seemed like it was the men. Yeah, It's a good question mark and maybe they are, but I bet it's going to come down to temperament and stuff like that yeah, because that's right. really the way that they've ever figured this out. It's just like a, a shoebox with wires that comes out of it. Like, oh, this one's fertile and they just mm, send something her Something like that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Were you surprised that Luke was like, this is it when they found out about the Guardian? Like, I'm going, I'm going to go and I'm going to meet this Guardian in the woods and find stuff out. Well, you know, they had dropped that line from Serena last week that got under his skin about his level of commitment and letting June do the heavy lifting for getting Hannah back. And then they even put that in this week's Clips to Remember section before watching the episode. So I was primed for him to want to do that. Had I not had that just in the front of my mind, I don't know that I would have had Luke volunteering to go across the line with what I know about him so far. Do you feel like it's unearned or did they do enough to poke the bear last couple episodes to really be like, okay, no, he feels like there's nothing else they can do. They didn't need to do much because it is fatherly kind of instinct to want to do that. And if the information is just right there, just in walking distance to go and get it. Right. Yes. Earned because of that Serena thing last week. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that. So him and June are going to take off. Moira's not going to go with them. Did you expect her to go? No. No. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going back. She did, however, have some time with Lily. Do you think we're sparking some sort of love interest between the two of them or just a friendship or I don't want to be lame but and say, well, you know, she likes girls and this is a girl. But the way Lily kind of cocked her head and was very interested to find out more about her and they got inebriated together and they were having such a good time talking. I don't know. Marie can be happy. She deserves some happiness. It would make me really happy to let her have, again, you guys, we have to remember, we only have the back half of this and one more season. We got to start creating some closure. 
So you've got to have like, okay, so what happens with Moira? Oh, what if she does find someone like a Lily and end up being together and and they have their family together in their own way, whatever. So I like the idea that they're starting to set up some things that can play out a little bit here long term where we have to see some amount of closure for some of the other characters. Well, her last girlfriend didn't quite get her level of commitment to what she did and why she did it. And Lily Sherwood. Lily is on board. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we have Luke and June heading out in the woods. Of course, the flashbacks, the grabbing, the everything horrible, horrible. What did you think about Jaden and this idea that there are these guardians out there who are right on the fringe, right on the edge that have these little areas like the bowling alley that Jaden suggests that all of them have some sort of place they hang out in the day and sort of basically try to blow off steam or keep their sanity or at least keep warm or something. It's more world building for sure. Well, and it fits with what I look at the image in my head of the of the Guardians in terms of the guys that are going along to get along. They'd rather be on what they think of as the winning side for now. But that doesn't mean that they're totally down for the cause. They're just making a living and this is how they do it. The best part of his character, though, was the fact that he couldn't remember with any clear definition what he called like before. Mm -hmm. And he's older than their daughter. So that's way scarier. He had much more time to form solid memories. And he had some sense of dad, but he actually didn't seem sad about dad, right? Like dad was so vague and the concept of dad was so vague that he thinks they went bowling, but he's not even really sure. And he certainly isn't like upset, like, oh, I don't talk about my family or anything. Like he was just like, eh, it's like a dreamy, weird place. And things like the Al Green song that uh, Luke plays on the keyboard and is singing and he thinks that Luke wrote it. He isn't remembering anything about the world around him, not just his parents or whatever, but that type of songs was played at the grocery store and stuff like that. Like he would have heard it probably. All of us have heard it and I didn't seek out Al Green in my life. So we've all heard it before. So you would thought that little guy probably heard it at some point and yet he has no idea, no idea. No idea. Very innocent. And it was it was fascinating to me how June, she really had her head on a swivel during the whole bowling alley scene in a way that I really give her a lot more credit for. It's small moments, but like when he was like, I'm going to go get beer. And she's like, where would he get beer? And Luke's like, ah, who cares? Whatever, you know? And there was like two or three other things where she was like, what? What is it? Like she was thinking. She was still thinking. Her brain was going because she was like, how does this system work? Like she was trying to understand the structure, trying to understand why people would have things, where would things have come from and what are the supply lines and where are these other people and all that stuff. Like Luke was literally just fooling around, which leads me to my big concern for old Lucas, which is he still doesn't understand the level of seriousness that is Gilead. In this situation, when you have Jaden, when she's like, let's play music, and she's like, no, don't make any sound. Right. Like, I, I don't want any of this. And he just doesn't get it. Like, he doesn't understand. And I'm like, watching this thinking, Luke, you're going to die by the end of this episode. Like, I do not see you living through this because they're finally on the same page. They finally kind of like, you know, have their last dance. They have all the things that spell closure. And I'm like watching this guy and I'm like thinking, why do you get to live in a world where Gilead is breathing down your neck and you still don't see the danger? Well, he's probably got a couple episodes left, but 
I see your logic that he doesn't have much left to do. And he just is so stubborn, Paul. And this is the Handmaid's Tale. It's not Handmaid's and their husband who didn't make it through. Yeah, that's not in the title. And mm-hmm. and for as, as much as uh, Luke's grown on me, and it's taken some time, yeah, I agree that he probably doesn't survive this deal. Not much longer. I don't think so. I mean, I think he could be a death. I could see a Luke death at the end of this season and maybe a Moira and Lily marriage. No, those are the things, right? Births, deaths, weddings. These are finales, yeah. right? So you got you to gotta get some stuff going on here. I really do think that they tried to make Luke's character really come far in his growth. There were other characters in the show, and I'm not going to be able to tell you a name off the top of my head, that where you feel like they never, never, never freaking got it. What Gilead was, what it is, what it represents to June, the pain, the cruelty, everything that happened, like he doesn't get it. And it's important to kind of have that slice of the pie, I think, in the story, because if you had all these people who 100% understood the fear and the danger of the other country, this shit wouldn't happen, right? You have to have the people who say, ah, it's not that bad. Ah, we could just play music. Let's go ahead and start getting drunk a little bit. After all, we're in Gilead. Why shouldn't we be a a little stupid? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I also agree that the level that Luke was willing to goof off just immediately, oh man, they should have just gone back. Rest or not, they're in enemy territory. Yeah. What was curious about that scene was they were going in separate directions. Was it possibly Canadian authorities and Gilead authorities going? Oh man. You know what I mean? That would be insane. Doesn't seem like that would be. But that would be insane. I mean, we're in, they, they got to no man's land, though, didn't they? They got to, like, the point where it was really, like she said, it's just beyond that thing. So it seemed like they were right in that strip. I hadn't even considered. Because trucks one came from the, one way and guys came from another. Right. You know? I hadn't even considered that it's possible that they got snatched by two different groups. I mean, we have to hit on the Jaden death real quick. Well, Jaden was too beautiful for this world, wasn't he? He was. And not only that, but... Their unwillingness to leave him is what got them caught. And I think if that's not the biggest metaphor for Hannah in the world, I don't know what is. You know, they were trying to tie off a tourniquet. They were trying to, like, help him in that last second, even though he was obviously a goner. Mm -hmm. And that's what got them caught. And you still have that footage of Hannah being taken from them to kind of mix with that Mm -hmm. same thing. We're almost in that same spot in the forest where she's thinking of it over again. And they have the same kind of thing happen here they have approaching bad guys they have someone they care for that they can't just leave also let me remind you back to remember way 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 back at the beginning when june realizes that stuff is happening in the world before the banks are shut down before she's 100 percent. she's she's not she wasn't fired i think at this point quite yet but do you remember that she's constantly telling luke like this is more serious than you think it is How many times in the apartment he was like, ah, Mm -hmm. this is not that big of a deal. And so he made them stay longer than was safe. And it was like the same thing happened. She's like, I don't want to be playing music in the bowling alley. I don't want to be. And yes, did she have moments when, yes, they slow danced. Yes, she enjoyed herself for small moments. I'm not saying she didn't. But the most part, she wanted to get going because she recognized the danger of what was happening. 
And he never did. And the same thing was happening, whether it was the bowling alley, whether it was Jaden at the, at the end, like there was all this like June realizes it, you know, but he just didn't. And so when you say Jaden was too beautiful for this world. Yeah. And I think Luke is too, he, he's the building inspector approach. <laughs> he just doesn't get it that like, this is war peacock, you know, like you can't just stick around here, you know? Right. This is chess, not checkers. Exactly. And he's always playing freaking tic-tac-toe in the corner. He's never paying attention. So, I mean, I think they've stayed extremely consistent with that character. And I think that if you guys look back, if you started the series over and you just watched Luke and you watched the amount of times that Moira or June or there was just moments when he just didn't take it as seriously as need be, you know, or even Serena saying, like, you didn't fight as hard as everybody else did. To get to this last minute and have him just be farting around in a bowling alley, I'm like, mm -hmm. this is how Luke deserves to go out, right? Running down and getting the pins and setting them back up because he just doesn't get that this isn't a game, Luke. <laughs> you like that? It's like my Liam Neeson. <laughs> he gets on the phone and he says, I have no set of particular skills. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you brought up an excellent prediction that I totally am here for some idea of what were there some Canadian forces were there some Gilead forces because I just I mean I think the assumption is all Gilead so I think super cool if it's not so then who goes where do you think Luke got snatched by the Canadians and June got snatched by the Gilead kind of do kind of do but it would be an interesting twist to go the other way because why would Luke stay alive much longer and then there'd be nothing absolutely nothing no one to help him no one to go intervene it would just happen. That's not satisfying at all. They can't just kill him. No, they can't. No, no, no. Aiding and abetting a known criminal. Nah, that's not the way Gilead works. How many times would June have actually been dead if they just freaking pulled the trigger every time? He on doesn't our have a characters? uterus. But they do need to neutralize June Osborne. Mm. So there's too much gameplay that can happen here. But some of these guys only play well, checkers. You have to be more of a torturer. You have to understand the art of war here. You can't just immediately kill off an asset like that. No way. You stay until the end of this season, I predict, at this point. If you didn't die in this episode, which he could have been the one to step on the landmine, and that would have been amazing, honestly, <laughs> because it would have been like, of course this happens to you because you don't pay attention, you know? But what other predictions do you have as we're finishing up this episode? Well, we need to uh, weave back in to Janine's story, get a lowdown of what it looks like when she helps Aunt Lydia, how she helps Aunt Lydia, if she helps Aunt Lydia, what that looks like. Okay. We have to weave back in a little Nick. Like, is he... Mm. Is what if they take the baby for Nick and his wife? Uh, I doubt it. All right, so Nick is definitely on the table. We still have him. I think the Putnams are going to be... I don't think you can ever reach the level of Waterfords for this story again. So I think you have to have like medium level villains. So you have like the Wheelers and the Putnams. Oh, I think Wheeler is going to be more on like your nemesis level, whereas uh, the Putnams are just kind of henchmen, you know, <laughs> you know, just kind of obstacles. You're such a Luke. You do not see the danger here, Paul. I see danger. Mr. Wheeler, he was a Weasley meek looking man. But then his face like turned. He went like, like into this nasty looking 
demon looking thing. Nah, he's bad news, Paul. He's I said bad. nemesis. Yeah, well, that's not, come on. School children have nemesis. <laughs> School children. I mean, this is going to be bad news. And you know what? What a wild story that I have any freaking sympathy for Serena. That she's being snatched and being taken like prisoner and that I'm thinking that the Wheelers are villains. Why should I think they're villains? No, you know, I could just be sitting here thinking like, well, no, they're just like normal people who are just doing to Serena what got done to, well, to other know, people. Part of what makes TV, good TV, classic TV, especially in these high drama situations is where you can take a character and redeem them in a way that audiences can get behind. And by the end of it, they feel... Like they've gone on a really big fat journey with this character. June doesn't need that so much. She's She's got this other mission. She's got to get her kids back. She's mm -hmm. trying to build her family. Everybody be safe. But having a villain go through some believable redemption arc, people watch TV for that. You know, that's what they want to see. And she's done so much. You know, out of the six seasons, she'll have spent four and a half of them as, oh, I think five and a half. as you know, definitely the mustache twirling villain here. And I think I can see some amazing Sophie's Choice kind of moments where, like, you have June have to make a choice between maybe Hannah, maybe Serena Joy's little boy maybe nicole and what happens with nicole like there's like there's like this whole better look out fred jr <laughs> you say that but i but i don't think she's gonna want to kill that little baby i mean she didn't shoot pregnant serena well you said you know? sophie's choice so i understand but you get what i'm saying like i could see where there's going to be this moment of like you're a mother and i'm a mother and like that kind of biz right where we're like really yanking on heartstrings I can see it coming. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so other people can find it and enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.